Hello, everyone, and welcome to Caught My Pod. My name is Sarah Knightley, and I am joined today by my guest host, Pat. Welcome back, Pat. Hi, how's it going? Great. Thanks for being back on the show. Um, Pat joined me, actually, for kind of like a bonus to a bonus episode for season two that we did and um, had a great time. So thanks for being back. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So Pat does a gaming podcast, and in case the less listeners didn't catch our little bonus to a bonus episode, uh, why don't you go ahead and tell the listeners about your podcast and what you guys do? Yeah, so um, I co-host a, a gaming podcast called the Untitled Gaming Podcast. Not very creative with the name. <laughs> Love it. Um, we're, you can find us on Twitter at Tugpod, T-U-G-P-O-D. Um, we're also on Instagram at T-U-G underscore P-O-D. A little too late getting the name for that one. And then um, we have our own subreddit at our Tugpod, our T-U-G-P-O-D. Um, you can listen to us every Monday we release um, on I- iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, all the major services. Okay, great. That's awesome. Um <laughs> So just so the listeners know, um, this is not a recap podcast. We're just we're going to be covering season four in its entirety. So this is going to be all over season four. If you want a recap podcast, I suggest that you listen to Bald Move. That's baldmove.com with Jim and Aaron. And you can just go to their website and find all their podcasts. They've got season uh, seasons one through seven each episode. Or Binge Mode. That's Binge Mode with Mallory Rubin and Jason Concepcion. And they have done recap shows as well. So that's who I recommend. Um, but that let's get right into our show. So for season three, or season four, I'm sorry, uh, the Double Ds return as showrunners. Uh, they began filming in July of 2013 and concluded filming in November of 2013. That just seems like really fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Compared to, like, the two years that we've had to wait for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> seems like. I think it was like, picking up a lot of steam and getting a lot of fun. So. Yeah, that's that's just crazy. Um, it premiered April 6th of 2014. And filming took place in Croatia, Northern Ireland, and Iceland. Season 4 is mostly based on the second half of A Storm of Swords but a significant amount of material is also based on the fourth and fifth books, A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons, which run concurrently, but follow a different set of characters. And George R. R. Martin wrote uh, episode two, The Lion and the Rose. So let's get right to the plot here. And I pulled the plot, the plot synopsis off of the wiki. If people want to go and check that out. So the War of the Five Kings is drawing to a close, but new intrigues and plots are in motion, and the surviving factions must contend with enemies not only outside their ranks, but within. King in the North, Rob Stark, is dead, betrayed by his own bannermen, the Boltons, and the Freys, while he was a guest under the Freys' roof. Rob's mother, Catelyn, and his wife, Talisa, along with most of the Northern leadership, were also killed in the massacre, known as the Red Wedding. Having already defeated Stannis Baratheon at the Battle of Blackwater and secured southern Westeros, House Lannister stands triumphant. The crazed boy king, Joffrey Baratheon, gloats. 
Baratheon <laughs> through the victory tr- truly belongs to his grandfather, Lord Tywin Lannister, Hand of the King. Let's see. Uh, through the mainland of Westeros is mostly under Lannister control. There are still two factions defying them, the Greyjoys and the Baratheons. Ironborn occupiers remaining in the north are being hunted down by Ramsay Snow, bastard of Roos Bolton. Ramsay holds Theon Greyjoy hostage, horribly torturing him at whim, but Balin Greyjoy considers his son as good as dead. Which he pretty much is. <laughs> he should be. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about Theon. Stannis, as the rightful heir to his older brother, King Robert, still refuses to surrender. <laughs> oh, Stannis. <laughs> Despite having only the remnants of an army. However, following the advice of Melisandre, he has focused his attention of the threat of the wildlings marching against the wall. The Lannisters only managed to win on the battlefield with the key support of House Tyrell of the Reach, which they won through promising a marriage alliance between King Joffrey and Marjorie Tyrell, daughter of Lord Mace Tyrell. The only two kingdoms which have remained entirely aloof from the war so far are the Vale of Arryn and Dorne. While Lysa Arryn chose to remain neutral, former Master of Coin and new Lord of Harrenhal, Peter Baelish, has been sent by Lord Tywin to woo her with a marriage proposal. Now that he's a High Lord and a suitable match for the Lady Regent of the Vale, nevertheless, only Littlefinger knows what Littlefinger is plotting. <laughs> That's a true statement, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, only he knows what's going on. So, let's see. Dorne is coming into the fold. Um, We'll get to meet Oberyn and all he brings to the table. Meanwhile, across the Narrow Sea in Slaver's Bay, perhaps the greatest threat to Lannister rule is rapidly growing in strength. Danny, Daenerys Targaryen, now commands not just three live dragons who are starting to grow large enough to serve as decisive weapons of war, but also an army of 8,000 unsullied warriors. And let's see. Does this say that she... Yeah, she also sails into Marine and basically takes that over. Breaker of Chains. Breaker of Chains. (laughs) And then we head to the Wall, uh, far to the north beyond the politics and meaningless feuds of the south, the Wall and the Wildlings, Nightwatch, are all that stands between the Seven Kingdoms and the Horrors Beyond. The White Walkers have emerged in force, leading their armies of Whites. The Wildlings have rallied behind King Beyond the Wall, Mance Raider, in an attempt to flee south. Knowing that as the White Walkers advance, anyone who remains in the lands beyond the Wall will die and become part of the Undead Host. So, do we think that Mance really knows? He knows about that, right? At this point. Yeah. He's well aware. Yeah, he's like, we're not here to invade. We're here to hide behind your wall because we know what's coming. Right, right. So we've got that going on. There's a lot going on in season four. Okay. Uh, In the Seven Kingdoms, while House Stark stands on the verge of extinction and is believed to be just that by the realm at large, four lone wolves fight to survive. Sansa Stark remains a hostage of the Iron Throne and a forced marriage to Tyrion Lannister, Rickon Stark seeks the safety of Last Hearth, and the fiercely loyal House Umber 
Bran Stark and his companions Hodor, Jojen, and Mira Reed have crossed the wall, chasing a vision, and Arya Stark, having lost everything and forced to rely on the protection of a man she hates, clings to survival and her thirst for vengeance. So that's pretty much all the plot points of season four. Yeah. So what do we think? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying a lot of stuff happening, a lot of different storylines moving forward. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of moving parts in season four. This is definitely, it's probably still my favorite season, honestly, because we finally get, we get like a big battle. There's, there's just a lot, a lot of good stuff in this season. So, yeah. So what do we think the central theme of this season is? So I think it's kind of like your legacy shaping your destiny because throughout all these story threads, you can kind of take it back and boil it down to a character either, you know, fighting with their legacy or like learning to accept it or like kind of forging a new one. At least that's my takeaway. Yes, I completely agree. It seems like that this same like structure is happening with each of our of our major of our major storylines. Either they're trying to like forge ahead with a legacy or they're potentially facing losing a legacy for sure. Yeah. So we get a season cold open and this happened and I believe season two also. They don't they don't do this a lot. They don't do cold opens a lot uh, for episodes and they don't seem to do it a lot for seasons either. But we actually get a, a cold open in the season and it's Tywin melting down the ancestral Stark sword ice. And he makes two swords out of it. He gives one to Jamie and he gives one to Joffrey. It's a pretty ominous scene. We have the reigns of Castamere playing in the background um, yeah, if you play close enough attention during that scene, it starts off with the Stark theme when they show the swords. Oh, it, it does. Up. You're right. Yeah, it just seem, seem, seamlessly uh, turns into the Reigns of Castamere. That like is such a great scene and kind of like is a great way to start the season. Yes. Yeah. It. I, I love this scene. It's. It's. De- it definitely gets your attention right away because you're like what is what is going on what's he doing and then of course we eventually find out that it's valyrian steel uh and that there's three there's only three smiths according to tywin that can rework it and i found that to be pretty interesting since of course we know that that's the only thing that can kill the white walkers yeah And if there's that's, only three people that can make it, that doesn't bode well. <laughs> yeah, that's why like all the Valerian steel is like super rare. So all the swords out there are gonna like start counting a lot. <laughs> right. The I guess the few that there are, or few that are left. We don't really have that many new characters this season. Thank God, because <laughs> <laughs> that's starting to get irritating. Uh, we've got Grey Worm, and we go to Marine. We've got new Dario. That was interesting. <laughs> a much better Dario, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like this one? You like this one better? Yeah, I, I like this one better than the last guy. The last guy just was like, I don't know, something about him. He was weird. But th- this guy plays it off much better, I think. <laughs> 
So what what is what does Dario look like in the books? He looks totally different in the books, right? Yeah, in the books he's completely different. He's got like uh, weird, different colored hair. He keeps changing it. He's got like these like big long beard with everything. He looks very like eccentric. But I guess they just didn't want to like have that be distracting, so they just went with like a <laughs> plain look for this. It's like a normal looking guy. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't even have an accent. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, so he's of course in Marine as well, and then we meet a new, almost kind of race of of thing called the Thins. <laughs> mm-hmm. These people are terrifying. They're cannibals. They're led by a, gay, a guy named Steer. And are they? Where exactly are they located? I I put south of the wall, but they're not south of the wall, are they? No, they're they're one of the like wildling camps or whatever. So uh, this group of them has journeyed south of the wall to kind of meet up with the rest of the the wildlings who are going to be attacking from the south. But yeah, they're they're north of the wall normally. But they're just not they're not near where like the Knights Watch and all that is, or yeah. where Castle Black is. They're farther. Yeah. Okay. So like that's kind of the thing Mance is doing. He's uniting all these different tribes that normally wouldn't attack all at once but because mance is such a great leader and has done that you see these different tribes like interacting with each other right whether they kind of want to or not (laughs) i I fucking hate the (laughs) fence right um then we've got of course the martels which we uh, mentioned in our plot summary Oberyn, Alaria, Sand, and they are from Dorne, which we don't go to Dorne in this season, but it's, of course, talked about quite a bit. Yeah. We've got the Boltons that are at the Dread Fort. We get to go there this time, this season. It looks very similar to pretty much everything else in the North, to be quite honest. I didn't really see anything real distinctive about it. Honestly, what, what about you? Did you notice anything? No, and I think that's just like budgetary reasons. They like they're probably just reusing set pieces as well. So right, but, yeah, and we, um, we know northerners. So right, we know they're creeps. So <laughs> no need to really beat us over the head with it, I guess. Uh, we did briefly go to High Garden though, and that of course is is where the Tyrells are. I think we went there for like it was like Joffrey and. Uh, Joffrey's like wedding something to do with his wedding or birthday I can't remember exactly what it was but anyway we did we did go it was his birthday that's what it was it was like his birthday celebration Mm. um and then we have I put down the farmer and, and his daughter because we do meet them again in season seven later so oh yeah we do yeah people do need to pay attention to that scene with the Hound and Arya when we meet them. And I guess that they're they're in the Riverlands is what I'm assuming. Yeah, so this is when they're on their way to the Eyrie to uh, the Hound's going to ransom Arya to uh, Liza Aaron. Right. right. That's what it, that's his goal anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, and then we actually get to go to um, Bravos. And we see the Iron Bank. That was pretty impressive. I I like I really liked I liked all of that. Yeah, where they're sailing like and then you see the giant Titan and everything, like 
Yes. It looked sweet. Yeah, it was very Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Um, and then we get to go to Molestown, which is horrifying and disgusting. And I never want to go there again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which was pretty much what Gilly said. <laughs> yeah. Which oh. I don't understand Sam's <laughs> thinking. Like, oh, God, uh, me neither. <laughs> yeah, John said there's a bunch of wildlings south of the wall just pillaging everywhere. I'm going to go ahead and put my girlfriend in this town. Little and baby. Leave She'll her. be fine. <laughs> God. <laughs> I just God. hate Sam. Sam's an idiot. <laughs> he really is sometimes. So we're only dealing with, I guess, two kings right now. Um, just like the the plot point said that the War of the Five Kings is obviously over, especially now that Rob Stark is dead. So we've just got Stannis is still, I guess, trying to be in the game as best he can. And then, of course, we've got Joffrey. And then, of course, later we'll have Tommen, thankfully. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> the original five kings, I feel like, are dead. Like that's like pretty much dwindling. But right. you still have the king beyond the wall, uh, Mansfield. Right. We still have him, sure. Danny, so she's the queen and with like the mother of dragons. So maybe they think it, there's not that many kings, but there's still a lot of people coming after him. Sure. The knight king, no one knows about him yet, but he's coming. But he's there. Yeah. Yep. He's he's out there. So we see a lot of the the old gods as far as religions go this time with with Bran and and with Jojen and Mira. Um, we don't really get a lot of Lord of Light this time. We get, I mean, Melisandre still burning people because that's her favorite, of course. <laughs> but that's pretty much it. We don't really we don't really get a lot of of the seven. I don't feel like or any of that this time. We get kind of like just the hint of like the White Walkers religion, maybe. I don't know. You see that like altar where like one of the last of Craster's children, uh, like he's sacrificing his sons to the the White right. Walkers and they refer to them as the gods, like sacrifice them to the gods. So we kind of see that and there's give like for the gods, give for the gods, give for the gods. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you see that and you see that's like how they make white walkers um you kind of see what the the nice king we don't know that he's the night king yet but you see him because he's got that like like crown spikes right. on his head or whatever but yeah that was like super interesting because none of that's in the books and but. that's that's the first time we've seen him correct him specifically yeah i remember when that episode aired i'm like what the fuck is going on and then yeah who's this guy <laughs> <laughs> they had a blog post that they released like the next day, and that was the first time they referred to him as the Night King. So, yeah, so that was the very first time that we'd seen him because we'd seen the other, we'd seen the one on that rides the horse, the one with like no, he wears like no armor or no shirt. He's the one that actually like gets the babies and brings them, yeah, to like the fortress. It's very like Elsa frozen place looking that they're in, <laughs> yeah, it, it does seem like. <laughs> they're not like mindless they have like a city or like some kind of structure in their right. society they definitely have yeah. a high a hierarchy that's interesting yes definitely yeah i i wonder too so so we'll we'll just go ahead and get into that um we're sorry we're a little bit out of order but that's okay like i said this isn't a recap uh show you should already know this shit people <laughs> 
if you're <laughs> listening to this show. Um, let's just talk about that for a minute. Cause I actually, I, I put a post out there on Reddit today with like the, a screenshot of that scene with Craster's last son. He said it was his 99th or they said it was his 99th son, I believe. So I put a post up there and there's, I took a, like a screenshot of like the baby and then you can see the night king like coming forward and then you see his i guess he's there his generals behind him i'm assuming that's what i don't know what you call them or we don't know that yet but there's what 13 of them i think back there Mm -hmm. and i found that interesting too there's like a specific there's these like specific numbers with he's the 99th baby then you've got these 13 dudes up there behind him that we don't really know who they are i just i just find it there's gotta be there's gotta there's like a puzzle piece missing to that yeah for sure and then why craster (laughs) like who who is he why why do they want his his son specifically or do they want his son specifically are they taking other other babies too is it only him i just feel like that there's a lot of questions that we don't have answered yeah and clearly like craster got to some sort of agreement or figured out like this is like if i sacrifice my sons they will leave me alone so like there was some there had to have been some communication or something between you know the white walkers and craster so right and and how is he able to figure all that out without them just immediately killing him? So obviously they're able to commun- communicate somehow. Yeah, or they or they're will or they're willing to, I should say. Yeah, has anyone tried to just talk to them? Like John just immediately goes for the sword every time. Everybody does because <laughs> I guess because they're just so terrifying. You're just like, oh my god. <laughs> that's that's what's gonna happen in season eight. He's gonna be like, wait, calm down. Everyone put down your swords. Come on, what's going on? Just let's talk this Let's out. have a conversation <laughs> before we start trying to kill each other. <laughs> let's hug it out. Let's hug it out, guys. Come on. <laughs> yeah, that's what I... Crestor's not a smart guy. I mean, he's just a daughter-fucking, you know, p- complete piece of shit. Like, and he... Somehow he was like, oh, hold on! Let's let's talk about this. Like, I, yeah. I, just, I just find it very... <laughs> why him of all the people it's is all it's all very peculiar and not explained and then mm-hmm. the fact that Gior, everybody knows about this and just kind of turns a blind eye and they're just like uh yeah why do they need why do they need him so badly because he's like a a pit stop in the north so it's a place for them to like resupply and like you know take a short rest when they're that far away from the the uh, Castle Black. So I think that's the main reason they put up with him. But wouldn't it be so much easier to eliminate him and put somebody that's more accommodating in his place? <laughs> I mean... I guess, but then they wouldn't be the Night's Watch, you know? They have their, their laws, protect all men and stuff. And Craster was originally a member of the Night's Watch, so he just, like, that's turned his oath... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely weird. Yeah, there's just a lot of things that I question that story-wise for me that don't add up or make much sense. Yeah. Because even though they 
have taken an oath and everything else to protect all men. I mean, well, aren't those women considered protecting all men? I mean, is that really who you is that really who you want to protect to somebody like him? I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah. I guess no one else wants to live. <laughs> True. That's <laughs> a good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah, it's like even if you were to take him out and then like who are you going to force to <laughs> to stay there? <laughs> Yeah, they would actually, I guess, be able to survive. That's that's a good point. They don't get along with the wildlings, clearly. So right. you can't the wildling there, and then and no one else would want to live there because I'm sure they don't know about the deal he has with the White Walkers. I think they just think he kills his sons, but he's actually sacrificing them, and that's like that's why he's still alive. Obviously, yeah, why I, he's still I, there. Yeah, yeah. it's. They've got a lot. I, I hope that we get this cleared up. I, I kind of have a feeling that we're not going to get this cleared up and that they're saving this for the prequels. That's really what I think they're going to do to us because they hate us. <laughs> <laughs> like the whole like reasoning behind the motivation of the White Walkers, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. And like yeah. I, how, I don't know how in six episodes. They're not they're not going to be able to. There's no way. And and how, you know, so okay, so you have this baby and now what happens? <laughs> All these undead dudes are going to take care of it. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I don't know. We've never seen female white walkers. Where are they? Are they are they? I mean, we don't know. I guess when we saw that little girl in the pilot, yeah, and she had the blue eyes, so she was like, mm-hmm. or not a white. So. Yeah, I just I think that they're intentionally going to save that for the for the prequels. I could be wrong, but that's that's the direction I think it's going to go in. But um, so we've got the this really cool scene between uh, Brienne and Olena, which I absolutely love, where. Olena says to her when she when she very first like walks up to her and she meets her my word aren't you marvelous <laughs> just, yeah. I just love Olena's like reaction just just seeing Brienne and like all of her her size and just the way that she is she's not wearing a dress of course you know she's she's not really like necessarily dressed like a man either but she's definitely not you know she's not in a dress so yeah. um, I liked that reaction and you could just see like I liked Brienne's reaction as well, too, because at first Brienne's thinking, oh, she's just going to insult me and try to, you know, just be rude to me like everybody else is. But but Olena wasn't. Olena was like giving her a compliment. It was just like, oh, you know, you're you're great. I, I, I think that you're great. And Brienne's face kind of, you know, she kind of like lights up and she's not used to getting compliments. <laughs> yeah. <definitely. laughs> <Poor> Brienne. <laughs> It's it's two powerful women in like different senses of the word, you know. Exactly, so. exactly. Yeah. So I I really I really liked that scene, um, and of course Ari and the Hounds. We can talk about them for a minute. I I loved I loved all of their scenes together. Yeah. Especially that, in episode one. Yeah, that ending where <laughs> the Hounds <laughs> like I'm gonna eat every fucking chicken in this place. Eat all the <laughs> chicken. <laughs> yes that's actually a that's actually on the free folk reddit a reddit where you can you can like put that as your tag <laughs> yeah. it's so great 
<laughs> yeah, there's lots of lots of cunts are thrown around in this episode with the hound. Uh, we we got the line of uh, what the fuck's a lami <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> yeah, and I'm gonna have to eat every chicken in this room. So yeah, we got all that in episode one. <laughs> and Aria, oh, go ahead. Aria gets needle back and yes. gets John Poliver. She finally crosses someone finally. off the list. Finally, yeah. <laughs> so satisfying when the when she kills him. It's it's just so great and satisfying. Yeah, the callback to her killing her or the guy killing her friend, and then she using the same words, and then Jesus. at that very last second before the guy dies, he realizes <laughs> who she is. That's like that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> Yep. Do you need me to carry you? <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. Um, and then we get we get a little bit from from Mel and Stannis. Um, we get to meet uh, Celise a little bit more in this in this episode. Mel apparently burns Celise's brother, which I had never noticed before. Like all the times I've watched this season, and I yeah. never knew that that was her brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, and he, that is in the books. Um, it's just showing you how like invested Celise is into this religion that she's okay with <laughs> her own brother. And it's like these steps. That, like when you look back, you're like, yeah. So I could see how she would be on board with burning her daughter later on. Like the progression. It wasn't just like, sure. Yeah. Right. But. It's like first it's your brother. It's a natural step <laughs> that. <laughs> Sure, they start right. off with a cousin and then they move <laughs> on. <laughs> right. and then now your brother. And now your daughter. Like yeah. yeah, because she actually did try to leave Shireen there at uh Dragonstone. Yeah. Right. She tried to leave her there and and you know, Melda says, Oh no, we need we need her to come with us. And obviously that was why, because she had yeah, nefarious was... plans. It was very ominous because she's like, look into the fires. You know what has to be done. Like, we right. will need Shireen in the future. So I wonder right. how how much Salise realized what was going on at that point. Like, did she know Mel's plans? Or was that, like, something she learned later? I don't know. I don't know if she knew it right then in that scene. But she definitely knows it when they're at Castle Black. Yeah. Because she's like helping to like get get her Swiss. down there and right. So she yeah, she definitely is aware like during the scene taking place uh you know when Shireen actually gets gets burned. <laughs> I don't even like to say it. That's like I always like run through that that scene. I'll watch it this time so I can do a, the podcast on it, but I don't I hate watching it. It's terrible. Um, so let's kind of talk about what we all came for, which, <laughs> which is the purple wedding. And that's actually the episode that, uh, Martin wrote the line in the rose, yeah. which is probably why it's so excellent from start to finish. You're just like glued, <laughs> you're glued to it the whole time. What did you think about this episode? I loved it. I, I was so surprised because. Like I said, I didn't read the books until after season five. So I had no idea this was coming. And right. watching Game of Thrones for three seasons, I was just so used to the good guys dying that when this happened, <laughs> yeah. I, 
was. <laughs> Cause, I know it's like finally. Because <laughs> yeah. he starts like coughing a little bit, then he's like, "No, no, I'm fine." And then he like takes another drink, and then he just he starts choking, and I'm you're like it's going through your head. You're like, "Is it happening?" I know, Is you're it like. <gasps> It's actually, he's actually going to croak, finally. I was at my friend's house, we were watching this live, and we all, like, got up and started cheering and stuff, it was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's so great, it, it was, it was so, it was so well done, and Jack Gleason is just, he's just great through the whole entire, this whole entire scene, just the way that he's propped up sitting up there when the scene opens, all cocky and arrogant like he always is and he just torments Tyrion through this entire (laughs) they make you hate him so much more before they finally I know know. it's it's terrible and then um I will say we did get kind of a a sweet kind of tender moment between Tyrion and Sansa even through all the horror that happened in this scene where the scene where he throws the cup where well he makes Tyrion he says you're going to be my cup bearer and they do all that thing and he Tyrion of course bring, tries to bring him the cup and then he takes it and then he throws it and it rolls under the table and Tyrion's trying to like find it and like walking around the table trying, and Sansa's like here I have it and she you know kind of hands it over to him and just kind of you know I thought that was nice yeah I, <laughs> I think little, she nice little thing tell. between the two of them yeah she can definitely tell like he's not like them like he's not Right. To, like hurt her or whatever sure. so he would he already would have obviously so yeah it's I, I absolutely love this episode like I said from from start to finish and of course Cersei is Lena Headey is fantastic in this scene did you notice <laughs> I'm just gonna go ahead and say it I don't I've never really noticed this before either but the shot of when she's like trying to comfort you know, Joff- Joffrey while he's dying. The camera shot is literally right down the front of her dress. <laughs> I did right notice that down the front this, of her dress. Yeah, like when I first watched it, uh, like I noticed in my rewatch when I first saw it. I'm just so focused on Joffrey dying. Sure. I didn't yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely noticed it this time, and I was like, "What? Come on, camera guy, really it's cheap." <laughs> Could to move the camera over a little bit. Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. really funny. But so, um, my friends had actually read the books, so they knew this was coming, and they know they knew who was behind it. So, right. like when the episode ends, you don't know who actually did the no. poison, and they leave it very open in the air, and like pretty much, there's everyone's a suspect. So, um, right. they were kind of like asking us, like, who do you think did it, and like all this stuff, and I'm like. <laughs> obviously we don't know who did it like they're not going to tell us in this episode and they they said like you can if you pay close enough attention you see what happens in this episode so i saw this like five times trying to figure <laughs> out what they're talking about and i could not find it and then they finally like when it the reveal happens there was elena with the necklace on sansa and then i went back and i saw it i'm like there it is clear as day like yeah at it they hit it in plain sight yeah, it's it's interesting because she she adjusts, you know, Sansa's necklace and then she she's telling her how sorry she is that her brother and well and most of her family were murdered at that wedding. And you know how how horrible, how how monstrous it is to kill 
somebody, a man at, at his own wedding. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what she says to Sansa. And that's exactly what she's doing is she's killing a man at, at his own wedding. So I thought that was great. And then she actually, she does the same thing to Marjorie. She adjusts Marjorie's necklace in the same way that she adjusted Sansa's necklace when she actually tells Marjorie more or less admits to the crime and says, you know, do you think I would let you marry that monster? And she's adjusting Marjorie's necklace at the same time that she's saying that. Yeah. So I, I like to think that's like something she just does. So no one found it like out of the ordinary. Right. Just, <laughs> she plays with other people's necklaces. Just randomly. Oh, I'm just going to reach <laughs> over and start playing with your jewelry. <laughs> it's just a thing that I do. <laughs> that is like a power move, though. Like, like I'm fixing your appearance, you know? Oh, definitely. Ab- yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and then we find out, of course, uh, Sansa is, of course, swept away by Dantos, and we find out that it was ultimately Littlefinger that, or we're made to think that it was Littlefinger at this point, right? Like, at this point, we don't really know that Olena had anything to do with it. Yeah, and I love that line where he's like, coin buys a man's silence for a time, but an arrow through the heart buys it forever. That's like such a great line. <laughs> right. Because he kills Dantos. And of course, Sansa is just like, you know, I can't believe that you killed him. And, you know, she's she's shocked. He saved Save- me, you know. <laughs> Little yeah. like, saved you because I gave him money to <laughs> like I saved. You. Come on. <laughs> right. Exactly. Teachable moments with Littlefinger. <laughs> yep. Sansa is learning. Yeah, he goes on to tell her to, a man with no motive is a man no one suspects. Always keep your foes confused. If they don't know who you are or what you want, they can't know what you plan to do next. That's pretty much sums up Littlefinger's, you know, that's pretty much how he is. (laughs) Totally. Uh, I do think there is some, like, extra motivation behind killing Joffrey because... Joffrey is unpredictable, like he he mentions. So, yes, like he absolutely. knows what Tommen will do. He knows what Tywin will do. So, getting Joffrey out of there is sure. Yeah, we best. have to get Joffrey off the board as quickly as possible. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and that's basically what he says, because he says, "What happened to Joffrey was something my new friends wanted very badly. Nothing like a thoughtful gift to make a new friendship grow strong." <laughs> Yeah, and so there's you another hint of who yeah, fucking strong, killed Joffrey. The, the house words of uh, House Tyrell. Right. And um, I actually uh, posted something else on Reddit earlier today that, um, and I know I'm, I'm not one of these people. I cannot come up with theories. I just can't. I, my brain doesn't really work that way. I enjoy like talking to people about their theories and being like, oh yeah, you know, and then what if this or what if this, but just coming up with a theory on my own, I can't, I I can't really, I can't really do that. But I started thinking about all this a little bit today, like while I was writing my notes and such. And again, I know I'm not the only person that's ever like said this or thought of this, but I think, I really think that Tywin had something to do with this as well. Because if you, if you rewatch like his scenes with Olenna and if you rewatch some of his scenes with like, like Littlefinger and even with Cersei, He's well aware that Joffrey needs to go. He's clearly, he even has that intense scene with Joffrey in the throne room where Joffrey like calls him into the throne room 
just out of the blue and summons him in there. And Joffrey's trying to like act all like puffed up and act like he's the king. And Tywin's just like, send him to bed. (laughs) I've got to get rid of this kid like this. You got to (laughs) go. You know, you can just like see it all over Tywin's face. And like Joffrey's not even through talking with him. And he's just like, we're done. I'm leaving. Like, and he just, you know, turns around and, and, walks out he even gives him a big power move by like like kind of almost sprinting up the steps at joffrey like how dare you summon me and call me in here you little shit (laughs) you know it's just like he knows that joffrey needs to go and while i don't think that he he didn't like plan it of course but i definitely think that he knew something was being plotted or maybe something was being planned and he just kind of sat back and let it happen and did it stop it do you understand I what just, i'm saying <laughs> yeah, i understand your thinking behind that it's, i just don't think that's his mo i think he would want to do it himself if he thought jeff joffrey was that big of a thorn in his side i feel like he still thinks he can control joffrey at this point you think so yeah because uh there's that scene where you know joffrey's being like a at like the war console <laughs> i think he's uh a little brat and it's after rob yeah it's after rob gets killed (laughs) yeah he sends him to bed and Tyrion's Tyrion's like you just sent the uh most powerful man in westeros to bed without supper and he's like if you think he's the most powerful man (laughs) you were mistaken yeah like he's like did i yeah it's a great that that is a great scene yeah where he's like the king is tired (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and Cersei's like, come along, let's go take a nap. <laughs> so great. Tired. Give him some milk of the cup. <laughs> I'm not tired. <laughs> it's exactly like what you did, you know, when you were like a little kid and stomping your foot. I'm not tired. You know what you are. <laughs> Time for a nap. Yeah, I um that's just kind of like my cra- my crazy like tin tin foily. That's about as tin foily as I kind of get about this stuff. But um, I know that Tywin has a long game for sure. That's always been he he has a long game. He does not work small short plots. He works long term yeah. plots. Sometimes take years <laughs> to to work out, and he's fine with that. And I think that. I just feel like that he probably, and he always knows everything anyway. I think it would be hard, hard for them to have gotten away with this and him not at least maybe got, got wind of something, you know, but yeah. we'll, we'll never know. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about Lysa. Yeah, she's crazy. <laughs> 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 like pretty much is yeah there's really like no redeeming qualities about her (laughs) yeah and and they kind of do go a little bit more in depth in the books when uh her her and uh catelyn's dad is like getting sick and like is slowly dying in the books they show like scenes where cats like with him and like you know trying to take care of him and stuff um at river run and he kind of mentions like Liza having a abortion or whatever because she shamed her house or whatever and really uh, yeah so uh Catelyn like doesn't know what what like he means by that she just kind of like you know 
thinks it's like the ramblings of a crazy man or whatever at, in this like dementia state or whatever. But you later find out like when she was young, she was like so infatuated with the little finger and obviously little finger only loves Catelyn. So as he's right. trying to pursue Catelyn, she's trying to pursue him. And one night she sneaks into his bedroom and, uh, you know, starts doing stuff to him and little finger thinking it's Catelyn lets it happen. Mm-hmm. And then like, realizes, Oh shit, it's Eliza. So like she got pregnant with little fingers child. And because oh. Liza was promised to John Aaron, like, you know, he kind of like they go through with an abortion and like keep it on the hush hush. So not even Catelyn knows about it. But like, so she was very much into Littlefinger f- as a child. Like, right. So, yeah the the show really fun. doesn't go in into a lot of that. I mean, he, he Littlefinger brings it up and mentions that she's you know she's been in love with me since she was a child and and. But that's pretty much the extent of it. That's all we get on the show. But that's yeah. super. That's super interesting. Yeah, and you kind of tell like he's been playing her since, right? It's like a little girl, like uh, John Aaron, who is the hand of the king under Robert. Uh, you know, Liza basically in- influences him to hire Littlefinger as the the person in charge of the finances at river or, or not river run at the uh, Vale, and then slowly keeps going and he like works his way up to master of coin because that initial like help from Liza who influenced John Aaron and all that stuff. So he's been playing her for the whole time. Sure. Yeah. Littlefinger has long game too. Yeah. The history and lore on the, on the Blu-rays goes into that. If you, I don't know if you have those, but, if you go to the special features and you go to the history and lore, it it goes all in, into in, into that part of the story anyway. It doesn't it doesn't go into the other stuff about Lysa, but it goes into quite a bit about Peter. Mm-hmm. And that it's pretty that's pretty interesting. But yeah, we find out too, just like just like what you kind of mentioned, that she forged the letter to Catelyn and that she, yeah, well, she poisoned John Aaron too. She right, the, and that she poisoned him. Yes, and then sent that letter to Cat and blamed the Lannisters. So basically, started a war between the right. Starks. <laughs> All for him is what yeah. you're saying because she's so just, just like obsessed with him. Yeah, so we we find out about all that in in the same. I think it's in the same episode as well or it's in this season anyway yeah there's like that couple of episodes where they like kind of go through all that but yeah and that's one of the reasons i think little finger one because you find out like the whole plot of the show is like what he started <laughs> like it's what pretty... he started right thus far anyway right yeah. it's all everything that he that he did everybody that he's like moved around the board and and manipulated and then we get of course her her crazy really comes out when she basically accuses Sansa of having some relationship, sexual relationship, obviously, with Peter, which is completely untrue. She sees them kiss in the courtyard after the smack scene with Sansa and Robin, which is yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, somebody needed to slap him years ago. <laughs> yeah, she she smacks him because they get into it about her little snow castle that she's building and he messes it up and she gets mad and they get into a little 
you know, little kid, little kid kind of fight about it. <laughs> and um, she smacks him in the face because he's being a little dick. And, of course, Peter sees the whole thing, and she's like, oh, my God, I shouldn't have smacked him. And he's like, no, but his mother should have. Yeah. <laughs> it's so great. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Sansa, or Littlefinger kisses her, which was totally gross and inappropriate. And Lysa sees it and then tries to proceed to throw her out the moon door over the whole thing. Yep. And then Peter throws her out of the moon door instead. And then we get that fantastic scene where Sansa has to convince the, I guess they're like the. The Lords of the Vale. They're the Lords, right. But they're like a, some type of council as well, I guess, like a, like a small council kind of for the Vale. And anyway, they're the ones that are trying to decide what to do with Peter and Sansa totally lies. (laughs) And plays the plays the perfect role of just I'm just a scared little girl and you know she cries and just she just pours it on super thick. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> when she turns to Littlefinger, she's like, I have to tell the truth. Like, <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> he's just sitting there. Yeah, he's just sitting there with that look on his face, like, great, I'm screwed. <laughs> she she is definitely learning to play the game. So yes. That that's a great. It's a great scene. She she totally snows them. They just they buy her acts, just hook line and sinker. It's it's great. <laughs> this again solidifies my point that Sansa is the best character on the show. <laughs> Don't care what anybody says. She's great. <laughs> uh, and then we get us we get a weird little scene with. With Marge and Tommen as well, the the bedroom scene with those two, this creeped yeah. me out on a lot of levels. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tommen's a very lucky guy <laughs> with uh, mean, into your bed at night. <laughs> but uh, yeah, is, <laughs> she's definitely trying to manipulate him, and like, you know, and it's totally working. Like he is. Oh sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, well, it's just like Olena tells her, you know, she she Olena has another great line with her where she says, you know, the next one will be easier. Of course, speaking, you, know, you did great work on Joffrey, and and the next one will be easier. And of course, she's talking about, you know, that we'll do the same thing with Tommen, and he'll be easier to manage. But he's just so young, and she's so much older than him. Yeah. <laughs> in a lot in a lot of different ways, and it's just so. Just, I don't know. It just kind of, it's just kind of you. It's it's kind of it's kind of yucky (laughs) (laughs) on a lot of levels. But (laughs) but like you said, I guess he's a lucky guy. Um, and then we get the another great scene that I love is the scene with Ghost and Rast, and this is coming off of. These creeps, these Nightwatch creeps that have taken over Crasters. Yeah. <laughs> this scene with Ghost and Rast is just great. It's a great scene. I mean, he's like trying, he's to- he's tormenting Ghost because they've locked him up in, in a cage, which I thought that was kind of odd too. First of all, how'd they catch him? <laughs> yeah, they also end up catching Summer because they have those like traps or whatever. Yeah. So well, maybe that's was- how, yeah, yeah, that must have been how got him i forgot about that that trap scene so that must have been how they got him but um 
yeah, so he's kind of tor- he's kind of torturing Ghost, and um, he stops real quick because Ghost, of course, like lunges at him, <laughs> and then of course ultimately winds up killing him later, which that's great too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we get the scene with uh, with Bran and Carl, and that's also in episode four. I just pretty much love all of episode four. Oathkeeper is one of my favorite episodes, even still. Of, of the whole series. Um, Carl is a great character. I just, I love to hate him. <laughs> he's such a great, he's such a great character. He's just so. I love, I love his interaction with Jojen where uh, <laughs> Jojen's like, I've seen you die. It happens tonight. And then uh, he like threatens <laughs> Jojen and Jojen's like, it's not my time to die. And like, he like looks at his hand. He's like, I know like how I die. And like, you see it on fire or whatever, which obviously comes into play in the finale. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, There's, um, he actually tells him, um, specifically he says, I saw you die tonight. I saw the snow fall and bury your bones. Yeah. And it's almost like he's clearly referencing Jon Snow there to me because Jon Snow comes in and like ascends on the place and kills them all (laughs) is what happens, which he doesn't, he doesn't ultimately kill Carl, but I mean, I thought that was interesting. And then the whole thing where uh, you have like Bran and Jojen and um, I forget her name. Mira. Mira. Uh, But you have them like kind of like hiding and like the battle's going on and (laughs) Bran sees John and he like yells for John. But then Jojen comes in. He's like, he's going to stop you. He's going to take you back to Black if he sees you. So that's kind of like him like embracing his like destiny and like kind of turning his back on his legacy like he's not fully like he's not a stark anymore like he's his destiny is to become the three-eyed raven and i think that's like the first steps that he's taking to it like he he realizes yes i can't go back and like even though john's here like i can't like my path is forward right exactly it's he definitely makes a decision right then and it's clear exactly what he knows exactly what he has to do and he just makes the decision and is like, yeah, let's, let's just go. And let's just go ahead and get, get into brand brand and Jojen and their whole spirit quest slash green seeing slash working <laughs> that happens yeah. quite, quite a bit in this episode. So obviously working and, and green seeing are, are two separate things and I guess there's only three green seers at this point in the story. So we have Jojen, we have the current three-eyed raven, and then we have Bran, who obviously mm-hmm. the three-eyed raven is trying trying to get to him. And we get um, we we see Mira too. She says something uh, that I found interesting too. Uh, Bran continuously, I guess, is warging into summer like more than he should be. And they're a little concerned about that. He's he's like he's like staying in her for like an hour or or him. I guess Summer is actually a male dog, correct? Yeah. The dire wolf. Yeah. And he's like eating and, and doing all this stuff. And they're a little concerned because they're like, well, you're not eating like you. You know, you have to you have to eat yourself and you can't you know, you can't be doing this for hours, hours at a time. Like you have to, you know. They kind be, of be uh, conscious. <laughs> they kind of explain this a little bit more in the books. I'm not 
hundred percent sure if it's mentioned on the the show because like everything blends together in my head. But right. they just say like the longer you spend, you know, actually warging into that animal, the more like you start to bleed into each other. So you right. like at some point you will be that animal. Like you will come back and you won't remember like who you are or whatever. So um, yeah, they do. That's... They they kind of tell him that like during during this conversation where they're telling him basically to stop, stop doing that shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Eat this rabbit and stop. But, um, <laughs> so this is kind of where his, his vision starts is, is around this time where he, uh, has Hodor, you know, take him to the tree and let's just kind of like tick through this. I kind of, I kind of wrote, I wrote, I like slowed it down, like wrote down like each and everything that he sees. So, uh, the saying that is kind of continuously through the whole thing is look for me beneath the tree and then it stops like period and then north is what like continuously is said kind of throughout the vision. Yeah. So he he first sees a weirwood tree. Then he sees a three-eyed raven which uh, flies down the crypts of Winterfell. He sees Ned outside uh, which he looks like he's cleaning ice, his sword ice. He sees Ned in the dungeons of King's Landing. Then he sees the three-eyed raven again, landing on a tree branch. Then he sees the White Walker little girl that we saw in season one, episode one. Mm -hmm. Then he sees, I guess, a flock of crows or maybe a flock of ravens. I really couldn't tell what they were, but they're like flying like towards the camera, towards, you know, the scene, what you're seeing. I think it's from the scene where Sam kills the White Walker, like all those... Uh, ravens or crows or whatever are like flocking around it i think that's what that's gotcha okay cool yeah i couldn't i mean they kind of those birds kind of look the same to me so it's kind of hard to tell them apart um and then we get the weirwood tree again with the voice again that says look for me beneath the tree north and then we have just like the side of the zombie horse and then we have the throne from danny's vision and then mm-hmm. we, which is in the throne room, of course. And then we have kind of like this unrecognizable place where I couldn't tell what it was. If you can, that's that's great. Um, I put again, it looks like Elsa's castle from Frozen. <laughs> um, and we see just a reflection of a White Walker, which I think was the Night King, but again, it was kind of hard to tell. I tried to slow it down to tell. Um, and then we have Cersei yelling, "He saw us." which, again, was from season one, episode one. And then we see Bran falling from the tower. And we have a dragon flying over King's Landing, just the shadow of the of the dragon. And then we have Bran falling yeah. out of the tower again. Go ahead. So that dragon shadow over King's Landing, that's really interesting because, like, that's happened in the past. So it could be just referencing that because Targaryens did rule King's Landing and they had dragons, but it could also be the future of like Danny invading coming into King's Landing with her dragons. So that's what's interesting. Right. It could be the past, it could be the future. Like he's not sure yet. So Right, because he bounces around. Mm-hmm. So we don't we don't really know. Uh and then we have Bran falling from the tower again. And then we have the Weirwood tree again, and then we have the voice saying Norse. So that's the vision. There's a lot of like bouncing back and forth. Yeah. Does, does this line up with what the book says about this? Yeah. I mean, in the book, it's like mostly a dream he has that kind of goes through 
these certain images and um there are it is like a lot more descriptive and i think it's it's way earlier than this actually happens like this is before he's even met um jojen and mira in the books like he has this dream like it's his first dream and there's like a bunch of other things that they describe in his his vision that people think is like related to other things and like other prophecies or whatever like he sees uh, a giant man in an armor and then when he like looks in the the hood he sees just blackness and people think that's referring to like the zombie mountain that comes mm-hmm. later on and stuff like that um he sees uh uh i think someone with like a fiery sword or whatever which is representing azora high and things like that so like it's taking parts of that yeah it could be barrack it, it's taking parts of like that dream from the books and like making it into this vision so um yeah i mean in this it there was no like come meet me north uh he does have a conversation with the raven in this dream where uh they basically say like fly with me or whatever like um i don't remember the exact words because i i've read the first one so long ago but it is very like this is the reason he starts believing what jojen and mira are telling him because he's seen it already and uh, all that but yeah it, it is very interesting and Definitely, like, I like the way they did it. It's it's visually stunning. I, I love it. It's one of my favorite kind of sequences of the season. The way that they, you know, intercut in the weirwood tree through, throughout each sort of, like, set of images that he's seeing. It's, it's really, they, they did a really, really good job. It's really, it's really well done, I thought. And Jojen obviously already has seen his own death as well. He he already saw that whenever he was well, whenever that scene with Carl, the one that we were just talking about before this. Um, he looks at his hand, of course, and his hand is on fire. And then after the scene with you know the the vision scene and all that with Bran, we of course get them headed on to to finally meet the three-eyed raven and jojen's like blown up <laughs> yeah. by the by the little fireball from from the from the the children of the forest yeah and um in that scene where they like meet the three-eyed raven they're talking to him mira's like my brother led us to you and now he's dead and he's right. like yeah he knew his fate and he went on this journey anyway so like, right like that was supposed to happen basically Right, that was his legacy, which is the central theme of the entire season. Jojen clearly knew what his path was and what he needed to do, and was willing was willing to do it anyway. Because he could have he could have just sat there, you know, with his dad <laughs> and been safe. And I don't give a shit about him. <laughs> right, like I don't even know that kid. Like I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm good right here. Yeah, but that's that's not what he did. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. And um, the Three-Eyed Raven did say something interesting to well, whenever they finally got into the cave, which I've, I find interesting where he says, I've been watching all of you, all of your lives. So obviously... A thousand eyes in one. Was a thousand eyes in one. Yeah, so this was all of their legacies. Like, this has always been exactly what they were supposed to do. Yeah, and that's kind of referencing. So um, in the books, they go into more detail, obviously. But there's... 
there's the main series and then there are offshoots of the books. Um, so there's the Duncan egg tales, which have a character called Brendan rivers. And he's basically a Targaryen bastard. And, um, his whole thing is like, he's working for the King and he's kind of like the Varys of the time. So he has all these spies that he, uh, uses to like get this information and they call him, uh, like he has a thousand eyes in one is what they reference him. And that character, Brendan Rivers, is actually who the Three-Eyed Raven is. That's been confirmed in right. the books. So that's it's just like a nod to to that. To that. Way. Yeah. Yeah, because the show the show's not going in into any of that. I wish that it mm. had, but it I guess they did they didn't wanna for whatever reason, they didn't want to actually give him a name. I guess they just wanted to focus more on Bran is what yeah. I'm assuming happened, but yeah, you um, you can so much screen time so right exactly. But yeah, all that's on the wiki too for the listeners. If you guys want to want to go on there, that is actually mentioned on there, which I I find really really interesting. But um, so how do we think that that's all going to line up with like the current like the current episode like the current season? Current season. Do you think that this is foreshadowing something for the current season or do you think that it's maybe stuff that's already happened? So he does say like, you'll never walk again, but you will fly, you know, obviously referencing he's going to warg into a flying creature. So uh, my whole theory is like, you can't beat the Night King just in one-on-one combat. I feel like he has right. clearly has some sort of this like, warging or green seeing gift like some of these abilities that the three-eyed raven has um so what i think would be an interesting thing is to have both like a mental battle so bran is fighting the night king in his mind while john fights him like on the ground or like physically yeah it's fighting him with dragons or something like that so i think he's going to warg maybe the uh undead uh Viseron or whatever like Bran yeah. is gonna win him and turn the tide of battle or something like that and that's his like fly prophecy or something so it's it's definitely there's a connection between the Night's King and Bran and I hope they explore that a little right I hope I hope we get to find out before before it ends I don't think we will, because like I said, they hate us. <laughs> but I, I, I'm holding, I'm holding out hope that we do. Yeah. George R. R. Martin, if you're listening, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think he already has the books done. The book done. Myself. That's what I think. At least them, I, man. <laughs> I think he's waiting for the for the show to end. That's that's my theory. But I don't, I don't know. Could be wrong. But um. We'll move on from that. Uh, we've got Brennan Pod, which I freaking love these two. They are hilarious. They could actually have a spinoff show, and I would watch that shit. <laughs> <laughs> just the two of them. <laughs> it's just it's just fantastic. I love all their scenes together throughout this, the whole season. Um, especially the scene where <laughs> where Brian is asking Hot Pie, you know, about the Stark girls, and she's basically telling them what they're doing. And Pod's like, uh, maybe don't tell people like what we're doing because, you know, they might kill us. And then here comes Hot Pie out, you know, bringing 
the little his little sculpted bread and he's done well he's practiced that wolf yeah. looked really good it looked way better than the first one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> good job hot pie and he tells her you know oh yeah I, I saw her and he tells her tells her everything and she's just like mm, you were saying <laughs> Yeah. I just love where he like sits down and just like she compliments the the pie and he's like just sits down oh, and explaining yeah. how to make pie. He's like you can't skip on on the gravy. <laughs> a lot of people like, He pulls up a chair and everything. It's like it you know what it remi- it really reminded me of is like whenever you when, like whenever you just go out to eat somewhere, you know, like you're just at a restaurant and and the waiter does that and you're like, uh, excuse yeah. me, I did not invite you to sit down. You were only <laughs> supposed to be like refilling my beverage and bringing me stuff. Like, no, <laughs> don't. We are not friends. Don't sit here. <laughs> it was so great. <laughs> the look on her face was just like, excuse me. <laughs> oh, God. A hot pie and Aria reunion. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that that's a great scene. Um, and then we get um, Reek and Yara, which I'm not going to talk a lot about Theon scenes because he still pisses me off and still makes me angry. But this is this was a good scene, and I think that we really needed this scene to really let us know that Theon is is no more. He's gone. <laughs> yeah. And Yara even says, you know, whenever she finally realizes it because they're stuck in that dungeon trying to get him out and of course here comes Ramsey with his hounds and everything and they're locked in there and she's like yeah my brother's dead let's just get the hell out of here (laughs) he's like actually fighting her back not letting her help him yeah and he's kind of like turned his back on his Greyjoy legacy as the theme of this season and she's just like fine fuck you I'm gonna turn my back on you too like let's get the fuck out of here Right. But then Ramsey, we see what Ramsey has done with him, which is the madness and genius at the same time of him, is that he actually has Reek go back to being Theon Greyjoy so that yeah, he can get what moat Kalen, and that what he gets for his yeah. father. Mm-hmm. And that that's a great scene, too, where he dresses back up, you know, and he has to pretend to be Theon again. Yeah, and remember, then of course, still reek, but you're pretending to be Theon. You're just pretending <laughs> to be Theon, and he, it's he's a struggle for him. Like it's very difficult. It's 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 difficult for him to even pretend, you know, to be Theon again. And then that's ultimately, of course, what makes Roose uh, legitimize Ramsay, and then he makes him warden of the North, or I guess Roose is warden of the North, but he legitimizes Ramsay and makes him a Bolton. Bolton. Not Ramsey Snow, yeah. Right. And so we get that we got that great scene. And um we get a great scene to uh with Varys and Oberyn, which which I really love. Uh Varys is just so he's just so interesting to me and so still so there's just so many questions around him, even still. And again, I don't know if we're gonna get everything cleared up about him by the end of the by the end of the series, but he's always looking at that throne. We always get scenes where either little fingers coming in or, you know, we got a scene with Ned Stark walking in on him, staring at the throne. He's always just like staring there and the whole room is empty and he's just staring at it. Yeah. <laughs> I find it so peculiar. <laughs> and this scene, especially where he's like, I've seen what desire does to, to men. Like I, I'm yeah. above that. 
And he's like, what do you want? Like, what do you desire then? And then he just turns and looks at the throne. Mm-hmm. And it slowly comes into focus. Which like, he was already looking at. And it's like, how long have you been in here staring at this thing? <laughs> Before Oberon walked in. Do you, don't you have something to do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what's going on? Yeah, because Oberon is inviting him to come with him back to the brothel and says that Elia would like, you know, you know, she would like you, you know, she would, she'd like to meet you or whatever. And, um, you know, we have some little boys for you. Everybody always assumes that Varys is, you know, homosexual. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he just kind of shakes his head. No, that well, I'm not into little boys. I'm not, you know, and he's like, girls, really? You know, and Varys <laughs> still shakes his head. No, <laughs> he's, he's not into any. Thing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Var- sexual. Right. Which is a thing. And he, you know, he could could be. Um, and then of course we get the brilliance of Tyrion's trial, which is in episode six. And again, we get another trial by combat. Tyrion is getting very, very good at this. <laughs> yeah. I just I love that scene where Tyrion is like you you get the whole Jamie like brokering a deal with Tywin and like yes yeah I will turn my back on my Kingsguard vows and you know I will done <laughs> I'll take my place as like the uh, the house the head of House Lannister and like you know your legacy will live on and <laughs> yeah it's exactly what done. Tywin wanted yeah <laughs> like so quickly he's just like yep done done. Not a problem at all. Yep, because that again, that's Tywin's long game. He, I think that he, he could tick that one off too. He had that planned out. He knew that Jamie would come in there and do that. He knew it. So there you go. I love how Tyrion references like that's the same deal that was offered to Ned Stark, and look what happened to him. <laughs> right. Yeah, Tyrion's like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this this entire trial, it gets crazier and crazier. And then the hits keep on coming for poor Tyrion because then we get Shay. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Here she comes out there to just completely embarrass him and just accuse him of all sorts of things. Lie. Just everything is completely untrue that she's saying. Well, they're kind of half-truths, but... It's just the way that she's doing it. Twisting things around. Yeah. And like, yeah, he planned everything with uh, Sansa and he did it just to get into her pants and all this stuff. It's just like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like the last straw. He's like, I can't live with like you guys humiliating me like this and then just sending me off to the wall. Like, fuck and I want to trial by combat. Yeah, and the thing about the thing that that gets me too about the, the whole Shay thing is none of that was necessary. Tywin clearly does this on purpose. Clearly, this was clearly done on purpose because right before that they had already made he'd already made the deal with Jamie. So Jamie's yeah. thinking, oh, okay. Um, the next thing is Tywin's just going to be like, okay. Do you want to address the court? And then Tyrion would, of course, confess. And then, boom, done, done. Everything is over. He would have sentenced him to the wall. Great. But no. Let's, the hits keep on coming for Tyrion. Let's bring out Shay first. <laughs> it's yeah. just, it's so terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's, it just, it keeps getting worse and worse. But then, of course, we got the great, the great speech. I should have poisoned a lot of you. <laughs> yeah. 
I wish I had poison now and enough for all of you. And enough for all of you. Yeah. I saved you. <laughs> I wish I was the monster that you guys think I am. Like, so great. Like They really do. They really do think they really do hate him. It's yeah. it's so it's so backwards that he's yeah, he's not the bad guy. He is the one that saved them and no one knows about it. And then of course we did get the the great scene with Ferris and him too where Varys ad- addressed the court and not in, on his behalf. And of course, Tyrion, you know, says, well, can I ask a question? And then he, you know, asked Varys about that, you know, that you said that, you know, the history books wouldn't remember me, but that you would. <laughs> Varys is just like, yeah, I did. Bye now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think is his little way of saying, like, I'm still on your side, but I kind of have to do this. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like a wink, wink, nod, nod, like calm down. Yeah. And Varys ends up being the one to help him escape the dungeon. Yeah. Varys and Jamie together, but. Well, ultimately winds up, yeah, getting him out. Um, yeah. But before and... that, we do have Tyrion like trying to pick his champion and obviously <laughs> turns to Jamie and. Jamie's like, I don't have my hand anymore. Right, like, like, I can't, yeah, there's nothing I can do. It's going to be the mountain. You're yeah. going to die. <laughs> and then, yeah, so let's let's talk about that for a minute. Oberyn, this scene gets me every, I, do you think that this is still the worst death? I almost kind of do. <laughs> yeah, it's because. It's so bad. <laughs> they get you to believe because, so this is what happened to me. After Rob's death, I'm like, okay whatever fuck it i'm not gonna like any new characters <laughs> this is gonna be whatever like i'm not gonna trust anybody and then they introduce oberon in such a great way like that first oh, scene yeah it's great you know why the world hates a lannister and all that and i like immediately i'm like he's my guy i fucking love oberon martell and they build him up and then he ends up being Tyrion's yeah. champion you're like they're not gonna kill Tyrion, so sure that's oberon safe right <laughs> But no, god damn, they got me again. <laughs> yeah, I actually just watched this episode yesterday. So I'm I'm pretty fresh off of watching it before we're recording, you know, tonight. And yeah, it it just gets me every time. I like I said, maybe I'm just saying this because I'm so fresh off of seeing it, but I really think that this is the worst death. It's just so gross. I mean, yeah. he literally smashes his face in and then it shows it. And yeah. Elia, her, just her face and her scream and, well, first he punches out his teeth, which mm-hmm. that's horrible. <laughs> Anybody that's had a tooth pulled <laughs> knows how awful that is. Imagine getting them all punched out. <clears throat> just the whole thing, yeah, is just, I still think that this is the worst death. And the way he flitted all around and, and just, it's like, just kill him already. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> I think that. We can tie that back into the whole legacy thing because he's trying to honor the legacy of his sister. Like, that's his main goal. He wants vengeance. He wants justice. And he has the mountain beat, but that's not enough. He needs him to So he's, like, playing with him and, like, you know, don't die yet and all that. (laughs) You're don't die yet. It's like, no, you want him to die. You want him to die now. And obviously he poisoned his blades, too. Yeah. And you kind of see his, like... I don't know what you call his like squire, I guess, just like putting oil on the blade or whatever yeah. that later find out was poison. Because that's his, that's kind of his MO. That's what he does. 
Yeah. And they kind of they kind of thought for a minute that he might have been the one that did in Joffrey. There's that whole little interrogation between him and Tywin as well. Yeah, because he, he's known as the Red Viper because he uses the poisons and everything. And he studied at the Citadel extensively in poisons. Uh, right. Exactly. And um, he, everyone knows he hates the Lannisters, so there's that. Everybody knows, yeah. I think he hates them more than Tyrion does. <laughs> That's debatable, but... Um, so let's, let's go back to the wall for a moment because we get, we get a good scene too with, with Sam and, and, and Eamon at the wall. We don't get a a lot of Eamon, but when we do get him, I feel like that he's very impactful on the series as a whole. And he always makes these huge, like impactful, you know, uh, he, he's always very impactful on the character that he's speaking to, like with John or with Sam and, I think that he's obviously greatly influenced Sam, especially like getting where Sam is today in the series in episodes or in season seven. What What do you think about Mr. Eamon? Yeah. Um, I, I always found him as an interesting character because like who he is, he's Eamon Targaryen. Like he was literally at the co- uh, the council where they chose the next person in line for succession. And it could have been him. He could have put his name in. And history would have been very different. Like, we wouldn't have had the Mad King. Exactly. Um, yeah, so... Uh, Things would have been a lot different. Yeah, but he chose not to go down that path. And in this scene particularly, I, I like, there's this awesome, like, thing I saw on Reddit um, a while back that kind of, like, puts that whole, like, love thing in perspective. Because, um, as we know, Robert is like, yes, I loved... Um, uh, Leanna Stark like she was my one true love and then in season one he admits like yeah I don't even remember what she looks like right <laughs> that's how long it's been or whatever and then on the complete other side you have Eamon who's like yeah like, I see her clear as day like right before me she's more real to me than you are like that's love <laughs> not exactly what Robert had you know yeah so, who do you think he was talking about <laughs> I have no idea. I don't think they like ever go into details about it, but I would love to know who he was talking about. I wonder mm-hmm. if it's Elena. <laughs> <laughs> she did mention that she was supposed to marry a Targaryen, so you Could never be. know. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Mr. Avon and Olena had a torrid affair back in the day. <laughs> um so yeah, watchers on the wall, I this this whole episode from start to finish is it's very intense. It's it's another episode nine in in their Game of Thrones. I think this is pretty much where they become known for doing this in, in episode nine. So that's usually where we get our battles. That's where we get our like intense, intensive scenes. And this is really the first real battle that we've gotten. I mean, we got we got Blackwater Bay and that was great. But this is <laughs> this is great. Yeah. This is still probably my favorite battle. Yeah. Well, I don't know. The Battle of the Bastards is pretty damn good. It it is. It is. But we got giants and we get mammoths and we just they just give us so much. It just it's it just keeps on and on and on. Just and it just it is it is another one location episode and like we I think this is the second and only one because we, yeah. we get the Blackwater, which is all the Blackwater, and then this episode, which is the entire battle, takes place at the wall, so the entire episode is there. Uh, you don't get that 
even the Battle of the Bastards has a little bit of Marine in it. So right. Yeah. Yeah. This it's... is just the whole episode is is this, and we we lose we lose Grin, we lose we lose Pip in a, like a horrible way with Sam. I feel it's so terrible <laughs> when he when he goes out. We we lose Egret in this episode. We lose a lot of people. Ollie. I fucking hate Ollie. <sighs> I hate Sam for saying, "Hey, get a weapon." Like <laughs> Sam, fuck you. <laughs> Do you think that she was going to kill him? Do you think Egret would have would have killed John? I kind of think that she would have myself. I, she might have. She might have loosed an arrow, but I don't know if she would have killed him. And then I don't think John would have killed her. What I'm hoping was like, no, he wouldn't have killed her. Yeah, like they would have like somehow subdued Egret, and then she would have been prisoner, and then he could have like done the whole thing he did with Torment or Torment, where he uh, right like released her like to help broker a peace with the the wildlings. Yeah. Fucking Ollie. <laughs> That's yeah. okay. He gets his. <laughs> yeah. That is I love that moment. <laughs> he he gets his. Um and then we get the great the speaking of fight scenes, we get the fantastic scene with Brian and the Hound. I, this still holds up I think as the best hand-to-hand of the entire series. What what do you think about this scene with Brian and the Hound? Yeah, it, it was great, and what? Because I, I hadn't read the books by this point, but when I did read the books, this is what I was expecting because it was done so well. But in the books, it's it's different. Like the Brienne and the Hound never meet, and uh, the Hound actually ends up getting injured in that first like episode one where we're, they're in that little uh, tavern where he's eating all the chickens. That's where the Hound gets hurt, and that's where like it leads to his like death or whatever. So um, yeah, they completely changed it. They expanded that story and I think it worked really well. Like the changes that they do make, they make for a reason and it like intertwining their stories works really well. Yeah. It's this whole entire scene is great. The, the setting where they are, the scenery is great. I think that this is probably Northern Ireland is where they're, they're shooting these scenes. And yeah, it's just fantastic. I love the, I love when she first comes upon Arya too in this scene, <laughs> because <laughs> later, <laughs> right? When she first comes upon Arya in the scene, because they, I like their whole dynamic is very interesting because Bri- Arya is is you know Brienne when she was little, and Brienne is really what Arya wants to be. So it's just kind of it's it's like seeing yourself. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's like seeing a grown-up version of yourself when you're a child. Probably for yeah, for she, Arya. She even asked, like, "Are you a knight? Like, is that right. possible?" <laughs> right. Yeah, it's. I, I like their dynamic, and then of course we see them meet again in season seven, and now that Arya is all grown up, and then they actually fight. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's an awesome like little connection that they made, like going back to this specific scene with, with the two of them. Yeah. And I think it works so well. Like the re like Arya's journey is shaped the way it is because of Jamie giving her that sword that is Lannister gold. And that's what ends up leading to Arya mistrusting um, Brienne at this point, because right. you know, that brings it up. Like I've seen Lannister gold my whole life. That's Lannister gold. Tell me it isn't. And Brienne being like, you know, the noble one is like, yeah, Jamie gave it to me. Like, 
and that's like that's pretty much everything for Arya. She's like, yeah, like, I can't trust you now. Like you're with the Lannisters. The... Did did Jamie tell her though that that's that that's ice that that's Stark Ned Stark's sword? No, he didn't. I don't think he told her that. He should have told her that because that's what she could have told Arya. Well, this is actually. <laughs> yeah, but your that father's been, sword. That might have been worse because it's like, yeah, my, you know, the person who gave this to me, his dad, broke down your family sword and like all that. But yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> But now it's going to protect you, so let's not go into all that. <laughs> yeah. But, oh, I mean, like, when the Hound says, like, if if you don't understand that no place is safe for her, then you're not the person who should be watching her. And then, you know, Brienne's like, are you the one that's watching her? And, like, kind of, like, laughs, like, as because that's, like, hilarious to her or whatever. Right. And the Hound's like, I'm, I'm watching over her. And I think that at that point, like, they had gone to the veil they had found out Liza's death and <laughs> Arya had just burst out laughing like she's of course she's dead. <laughs> yeah and let's talk to for a minute about how calculating Arya really is too by the end of this scene where she hides from Brienne and Pod and then of course we hear you know Brienne kind of trailing off screaming you know for Arya trying to find her and then Arya scrambles back over to the hound and just kind of doesn't say anything to him. She steals his gold and just just cold ass leaves him there. I mean, yeah. just like, bye. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, because I do think at this point he is protecting her for protecting her because there's no ransom or whatever. That's like out of the question at this point. Right. So like he's grown attached to her and like is protecting her. But I think she's also grown attached to him. But even still, like, he needs to pay for his crimes in her eyes. So she's like, I'm not going to kill you, but I'm not going to give you the, like, easy way out. So. Yeah. Yeah. And he's not, I mean, he's no longer useful either. Like, he can't, he can't really protect her anymore, obviously. He can't. And she's, like you said, she's not going to give him the satisfaction of an easy death. So she just, just leaves him there. Which and of course, out, yeah, he was he, he was rescued by the right. He winds up he winds up surviving. Whether you think that that's whether you think that that's fortunate or unfortunate, I guess is a <laughs> would be your opinion. Do you I'm think that he's good. yeah? Do you think that he's redeemed yet? Or I think I mean as as redeemed as you can get. I mean it like how redeemable are half of these characters on these shows? Uh, um. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to see, I think, his final, you know, like, destiny or whatever is to fight the mountain. Because there's just so much history between them. And somebody needs to take the mountain out. So I feel like having the hound and the mountain fight in the finale or, like, at some point during the last season w- is going to be, like, so awesome. Clegane Bowl. I'm down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's what everybody's been wanting for a long time. I thought we were going to get it in season seven, honestly, because they did meet each other again. And yeah. I thought, oh, okay, they're going to do it. But no, it didn't happen. They're saving that for the finale, the final season. So. <laughs> yeah. So jumping back uh, just briefly back to uh, Egret and John. So we got a lot of like 
love stinks in this uh, season as a whole. A lot of characters just don't like each other. We've got Tyrion and Sansa. We've got Tyrion and Shay. That whole mess. Um, <laughs> we've got Jamie and Cersei. We've got Joffrey and Marge, Littlefinger and Lysa, and we've got Sam and Gilly. Sam, Sam and Gilly, he leaves her in, in Molestown. I mean, what the hell? Like, why would you ever do that? Sam's an idiot. Come on. <laughs> why? I mean, why? Don't don't leave her there. It was... <laughs> the place is terrible. Yeah, he's he just is... <laughs> it, it, when like the wildlings attack Molestown and you you get like the moment between Egret and Gilly where she like I think she yes. recognizes her as a wildling and she's just like Shh. Like I know you have a baby, just be quiet. Like, right, just be quiet. But I'm gonna, but I'm gonna leave the curtain open just enough so you can see all this blood drip down through the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't like shut the curtain some more. I mean, <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. And Tyrion and Shay. So ultimately, the reason Shay does this to him really is because of the scene where he dumps her. Was yes. that necessary? <laughs> What, what, do you mean it was necessary for Tyrion to dump her the way she did, or was the it way that he did the way that he did the way that he did? I mean, I, I understand that throughout this whole entire thing, Shay has just not been listening to him. That he's been trying to explain things to her, and she's really not listening. This place? Oh no, we're not. Come on, why are you scared of your father? <laughs> it's fine. I like dead bodies and calm. Yeah, it's like girl, please <laughs> don't. Oh God, yeah, she's. She, I mean, I know that she's a mess. I know that she is, but, but she's not dumb. I mean, he could have just been like, look, <laughs> here's the deal. Okay. My sister is a crazy bitch and she's going to fucking kill you whenever she finds you here. So here's some money. I've got a ship. Go with Braun. Like. Yeah. That would have been way nicer than the way that he actually did it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he called her a bunch of names. He totally insulted her. He said, you know, you're not fit to bear my children. And Sansa is. And she was already jealous of Sansa anyway. So to even bring her up at this point was dumb. Yeah, it's just. I think because, you know, they clearly loved each other at one point. um, I think that he just thought, like, if he leaves it up to, like. That, yeah, I still love you and I'm doing this to keep you safe. She may go, but then she'll probably come back. Try to and, come back. Yeah, sure. yeah. He wants to keep her safe. So <laughs> he's like, you just need to get out. Like, I don't love you anymore and all this stuff. Like, get right. out of here. It's you. ultimately doing it, yeah, to protect her. And then, of course, she smacks Braun, which, <laughs> and Braun's yeah. just like, wow. I thought he'd smack her back. <laughs> it was like a surrogate smack. <laughs> <laughs> it was meant for Tyrion <laughs> because he looks directly at Tyrion. Like that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, and then we actually did get a deleted scene between her and Bronn, where uh, I don't know if you watched, if you saw this or not, but uh, Bronn actually does plant the seed of her doing what she ultimately does because he explains to her that. You know, things change and people change and we have to, you know, evolve and kind of change along with them. And, you know, maybe we need to learn some new tricks. And, you know, he kind of like plant plants a seed in her mind of, oh, yeah, you know, I'll I'll learn a new trick. All right. 
I'll hook up with Tywin, which is what she did, which is what she ultimately does. So yeah. I think that's, she's, that's like the end of the scene. I mean, it doesn't show like her doing anything, but yeah, I think she just felt betrayed. So she's like, fuck you. I'm going to show you that like I can survive in this place. I'm going to like buddy up to your dad and, you know, basically turn on you like that. I think that's what her thought process was. Yeah, pr- pretty much, because that's that's exactly what happens. And then, of course, he kills her, and then he kills his father in the loo. <laughs> yeah, that, but, that, like, that scene where he's uh, James <laughs> gets him out of the cell and is like, go down this way, and then there's a ship, and Varys is waiting for you. And he's like, you know what, I'm just going to go confront his dad. Because like, he didn't know Shay would be there. He didn't know about the whole Shay-Tywin thing. He's like, I'm just going to go co- confront my dad and... You know, then I'll leave. And then he goes there. I don't think with any intention to kill Tywin. No, I don't think so either. Yeah, he sees Shay and like something just snaps in him and he kills her and then confronts Tywin on the crapper. And she's all, my lion. Yeah. <laughs> I just like, was like, girl, please, you'd say that to everybody. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so she had like no special lines for for Tyrion. Poor Tyrion. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's that that was another satisfying death when when he when he does in Tywin. And Tywin the whole time is really trying to get off the crapper. He's like, Can we please can we please go, go talk in my room? Yeah. Talk in my room. <laughs> and he's like, No, sit down. <laughs> fun, fun fact. You're... That episode <laughs> actually aired on father's day i know it did yeah Yeah. i I remember hearing about that that it actually aired on father's day (laughs) yeah there was so many like memes and stuff about that i remember the next day and i think that's why in season five people like expected lady stoneheart to show up on mother's day because there was an episode yeah on mother's Mother's day oh that would have been yeah that would have been great (laughs) that would have been great um, so let's real quick kind of go through Danny and, and John's journey in this season because they definitely mirror mirror each other. And uh, upon this rewatch, I noticed that that I I if you didn't notice this your first watch, you'll definitely notice it now that their journeys are mirroring each other, and it's obvious that they're going to be leading up to each other. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, they're kind of like. You know, Danny stays in Marine to rule because she's like, I need to help my people. And like, if I can't, you know, keep the peace in Slaver's Bay, how am I supposed to keep the the peace when I go to Westeros? And John is like kind of keeping the peace in the Night's Watch. Like, you know, he's kind of like leadership is thrust upon him. So he kind of has to uh, take the reins and be like the the one in charge this season. So, and we see that with him going to go kind of on that suicide mission at the end of uh, episode nine, where he's like, I have to go treat with um, Mance, but he actually intends to kill Mance knowing full well that it'll be a death sentence, but he thinks that'll like scatter the wildlings. So. Yeah. And they're both also, they're both very much in learning phases like I said, kind of mirroring each other at the same time. They both have a lot of people around them that are definitely influencing them and that they are learning from, you know, older, wiser people that have, have been doing these things a lot longer than they have been. Uh, we've got, you know, John, of course, pr- 
prior to this, of course, being influenced by Ned and by Rob. He even says that he was he was very jealous of Rob, you know, whenever they were growing up and um, he wanted to hate Rob. But of course, he couldn't because they really were raised together and really became brothers. He was his brother. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, he had Gior, Mormont. Um, he still has Eamon. And now he kind of has Mance. Mance is definitely inf- influencing him um, now in the story. And Craster, he learned quite a bit from him. And he's learning a lot from Alistair, too. Um, Alistair Thorne is a really interesting character. And we really see in this season, you know, up until now, Alistair's, he's he's a complete dick to John. He treats him like shit. He really treats everybody like shit. And you really don't like him at all. But in this season, he really likes, you know, he really steps up. And you really see why he is in the position that he's in. That he is a commander. He is a leader. And he really is somebody that John could learn from if he wasn't such, you know, such a complete yeah. dick. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't like John, but he knows he, he almost respects him, I think. Yeah. Uh, kind of gives him he kind of gives him that bit of advice at like the top of the wall where he's like, you know, you were right, you can say it. We should have flooded and froze the tunnels. Because when those tunnels. Woo. And <laughs> And he's basically like he gives them that advice like uh, you you can uh, ha- like you're when you're in charge, you're going to have every I think he's like every little cunt is going to doubt you. Mm-hmm. But the second you doubt yourself is when you're really like lost. So, yeah, Alistair was so egotistical with himself that he couldn't see what John was trying to say, that John wasn't trying to challenge him. He's trying to tell you, like, you have to seal those tunnels. They have fucking giants. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. we're all going to die if you don't do this. But, you know, in Alistair's, I guess, hubris, he just decided, nope, I know better. I'm not going to do that. Yep. <laughs> but we got to see him, like, really, I thought I thought that he, like, shines through this whole, like, that whole episode, episode nine. Yeah, especially when he's like, I'm going down because they're attacking, you know, the gate and the wall. So I'm going to go down and help with the gate and, you know. Right. And he gives gives that speech yeah, to rally. everyone. <laughs> like, we're not going to fill the belly of the thins. Like, yes, kill them. <laughs> yeah, he gives that he gives that great speech. Yeah. And then basically John has to winds up taking over because, um. Oh, I always forget his name. The bald guy. That... Uh, Janos. Stint. Janos. Janos Stint. Yeah, I always forget his name for some reason. He winds up hiding with Gilly and the baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> During the battle. And um, Sam comes in and finds him. And he's like, uh, were you in here the whole, yeah. the whole time? <laughs> it's just, it's such a, it's such an, like an embarrassing scene. Um, <laughs> it's such an embarrassing scene for for him. Um, but who? Um, so let's go over the deaths real quick. Like who? Who did we hate to lose in this in this season? Egret. Who were some of the ones that like did it for you? Definitely Egret. That was. I'm like no, <laughs> she's so awesome. But yeah, um, yeah, she. Another one where I'm like. He's he's an interesting character. I hate to see him go. Yeah, Joe Jojen really did it for me, especially because um, Mir Mira had to had to kill him. Um, that was that was pretty rough. And of course, Oberyn. Oberyn. 
Oberyn really, really, really did it for me. That was just, that was terrible. So who do we think won the season? I think definitely Littlefinger. Just because he's like, you see how much he's been manipulating the course of the whole like series so far. And in this season, he becomes not only like he's he already has he's like Lord of Hall already. He becomes Lord Protector of the Vale. And now he has a Stark basically to it, like manipulate and basically work his way into the north. So he's definitely and he took out Joffrey. So a lot that was. Yeah, finger. that was the ma- that was the major major move. Annie's of course hooked up with the Tyrells now, so yeah, yeah Annie's controlling the veil. So yeah, I I totally agree. I I say Littlefinger completely completely won the whole season because he moved a lot a lot of pieces around the board. Yeah, without anybody really knowing, just like you said, he keeps everybody confused and yep. kind of stays under the radar. Well, I guess we're... Oh, go ahead. Obviously, Tywin. Tywin, such sad to see him go. Oh, Ty, Tywin was... Yeah. <laughs> Tywin was, was rough. I, I would have liked to have at least had him for another season. For sure. Yeah. And then if you notice, everything goes to shit for the Lannisters after he dies. Like, totally. that's it. They're, they're done after after he goes. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. it for them. <laughs> but the way he, like... Like, all three of his children are, like, turning against him, basically, because, um, obviously, he says it himself, like, Tyrion refuses to die no matter what. <laughs> I respect that. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Cersei, like, comes out and tells him, like, all those rumors about me and Jamie are true, and you know it. Like, your legacy doesn't mean shit. And, like, she says that to him, and, like, you can tell that really gets to him, because, like, he doesn't he just like lets her go and like, doesn't like usually Tywin's the one with the last word, but not that time. Yeah. After that, like (laughs) she shut him up with that. Yeah. (laughs) He didn't have anything to say back to that. Yeah. And then Jamie obviously will not, you know, turn his back on his vows. Like he wants him to. So like all three of his children are like, disappointments in his eyes and then he dies from like his most hated child on the shitter like that's and a a whore in his bed (laughs) yeah (laughs) well on that note I guess we'll wrap it up (laughs) (laughs) so Pat why don't you tell the listeners um, where they can find you again yeah so I co-host the Untitled Gaming Podcast or TugPod you can find us at TugPod on Twitter uh, we're at under t- tug underscore pod on uh, Instagram. Uh, you can find us on our tug pod, and then you can catch us every Monday uh, on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, everything. If you like video games, or pretty much you know we go into other nerdy topics, uh, come check us out. Yes, definitely, definitely check them out. Um, and you can follow me at Caught My Pod. And you can also join my Facebook group at Game of Thrones Spoilers Welcome. And you can find me on Twitter at Sarah Knightley. And I'm also on Instagram. But thank you guys for listening. And we'll see you next time. 